Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of Views on View. I am Steve Edwards, the host with the face for radio and the voice for being a mind, but I'm still your host. With me, I have my co-panelist, Mr. Cody Bontecue. How are you doing, Cody? Hey, what's up? What's up, everybody? Happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. Coming from the, the frigid temps of the Big Island of Hawaii, we always yep. feel for him. And with us today, we have a special returning guest, Mr. John Leader. He of Beautified G- JS, not GS, JS fame. How are you doing, John? I'm doing well. Thank you for uh, inviting me on. Good. I always like to talk to you and about Beautify and other things, Beautify being a very large part of the, the view ecosystem. Uh, now, refresh my memory where you're coming from, John, where you're at, located. I'm in, uh, I'm in Texas. Texas. All right. Texas is a big state. What part? Keller. I don't know. Keller, Keller. Where's, where's Keller so related like, to a big it's city? By, uh, it's by Fort Worth. Oh, DFW. Dallas-Fort Worth yeah. area? Well, DFW is like a very large area. Yeah, but, it's huge. Uh, yeah, so Fort Worth is more of the uh, west of Dallas and right. right outside that city line. Yeah, I have a co-worker in Fort Worth right now. So okay, you guys keep it nice and keeping cool this summer? No, it's it's terrible over here. It's like <laughs> yeah, 110, it's 111 every day. Yeah, even up here in uh, in the northwest corner, we were getting some temps like that for a while. Uh, last week, it was pretty crazy. I blew out another capacitor on my air conditioning unit, had to change it out. But uh, cool. Now, one thing I've noticed, and this is of great importance for some of us more than other, uh, and you'll notice this on the video, is uh, compared to last time, John has significantly less hair. Uh, he's gone the smoother is better route. Uh, you know, I always say that God made so many perfect heads and the rest he covered with hair. So John has joined <laughs> the ranks of, of perfect heads and we're very appreciative of that. Uh, sure, sure. Uh, <laughs> and for those of you that might have forgotten that as our studio audience, I always forget to introduce them, but they're still there. Uh, tickets are $100 a seat. Uh, email me directly. You can get me at 1095 on Twitter. And uh, I take credit cards and cash as well. <clears throat> so uh, the reason we are here, as has been mentioned previously, is to talk about Beautify JS. And uh, the last time that John was here was November of 2022. And at that time, Beautify 3 was in the works, but was not yet completed. There were still some... Um, uh, components that needed to be worked on data tables is one that comes to mind mm-hmm. uh, for me at that time. So uh, we're going to, first of all, catch up. What's been going on in the Beautify JS world since then? Well, uh, quite a bit, actually. So uh, November was when we released, um, actually released version three, but we, we were still lacking quite a few components to reach feature parity. Uh, shortly after we talked, uh, December, I think it was, or beginning of January, we released a new effort called Labs, which is a way for us to put components that are not 100% feature parity with version two, and or new components that we're just wanting to get some feedback on, putting it in the ecosystem so people can utilize it, um, but also recognizing the fact that it's not completely done. Um, big reason for this was we had a few components, especially data tables, that were mostly complete, um, but we didn't want to release it in a state where, hey, there's X, Y, Z functionality that 
hasn't been ported over yet, but we're claiming this is finally released. So um, that was one of the big ones. And throughout the year, we've introduced more components, excuse me, into the lab's effort. Most of them ports from version two with a couple of new additions. Uh, we've been heavy at work planning for um, some, we have another release in November, which will be uh, version 3.4, and it'll be our largest release since uh, version three. And we've just been kind of working up towards that, um, you know, working on new functionality, lots of documentation improvements, try to help the user experience help it disseminate information a lot better and beautify. We have a lot of uh, documentation holes that we've been trying to fill all year. And yeah, we've just been uh, doing a lot of porting, a lot of upgrading processes over and trying to expand uh, how we get that information out to users and also ourselves trying to come up with some new stuff to, to work on and add to the framework. So uh, I'd say that pretty much covers it. It's uh, been, a, been a blur, honestly over the past year. So um, it's it's good to finally, we feel that this release version 3.4 is gonna pretty much be what we wanted to have at version three launch, as far as all of the components and availability. We won't be 100% feature parity by then, but majority of the components that were used will be. Um, so there's a lot of odds and ends that won't be complete by then, but we'll eventually get there and then start bringing out some new stuff. But yeah, that's what we've been hard at work at. So, but um, actually the release is called Blackguard. Um, so we've been trying to do name releases for, um, uh, to kind of assign a name to like this feature set that's coming. And we've been working on some social media and art stuff to try to disseminate it out to people in kind of a cool way, something new. Um, since open source is typically not considered like a super cool, fun job. So trying to, you know, coding in general. So trying to add uh, some interesting visual elements to it and kind of thematics to the different releases. And um, um, so, yeah, that's another thing we've also been working on. So I'm sitting here wondering why John didn't answer my question and realized that I had the mute button on. So uh, that might explain <laughs> a slight gap there. <clears throat> um, so when you say feature parity, were you parity with version two? That's correct. Okay. Right, so you were just trying to get up to where version two was. So going back, I'm remembering uh, the data tables. And the reason it was sort of uh, apropos for me or, or relevant to me is because I was starting up a new project, the View Laravel Inertia project at the time. Um, and so I was looking at data tables because it's very heavily, mm -hmm. it's a data management tools, what it really is. So yeah. now you had mentioned having the labs. And so you're... Beautify Labs is where you had the stuff that wasn't finished, but you still wanted people to play with sort of a beta playground or alpha playground as whatever level you want to use. Is that still there? Yes. Yeah, so um, it's it was the first component in Labs. And um, since it's a new piece of functionality, we have to release it with a minor release. Um, and our next big minor, there was a, we had a 3.3 earlier this year that came out a little sooner than expected because view 3.3 had happened and there were some TypeScript improvements that we wanted to implement. Uh, other than that, we've been trying to have all of the, um, we have to move all the, the new stuff to a, a minor release, which in this case is version 3.4. We try to do once every three months. Um, some components have been in there for longer. 
all the pages they 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 let you know like when a component was introduced because in labs we can introduce a component whenever which allows us to kind of skate semantic versioning to allow people to use stuff <laughs> um <laughs> but but yeah there's obviously um, a certain uh, level of risk associated with utilizing stuff um Maybe we should end up doing something like stages, kind of like when ExpressScript is approving things, there's like stage two, stage three, stage four. So it's like if something hits stage three, you know there's not going to be any changes because that is stage four. And, and that's pretty much what the data table is. It's, it's in a great spot, but we, we can't release it without iterating a minor version. And we have a lot of things that we want to bring into the next minor version. So it's one of those where we're just going to continue to, to iterate on it and uh, especially improve on the documentation, which is something that um, is probably... It's it's better than it was before, but there's so much information. With we have three different data tables now that each have their different focuses. Um, main reason why is that we found out there was a lot of um, properties that existed on data table that were antithetical to each other. So there's no reason for you to um, need to do X, Y, or Z if you're receiving all of your data from a server as opposed to where you're wanting to display, you know, a, a large amount of items with virtual scrolling, or if you just want to have, you know, a, a regular boilerplate data table. And they have some different, they're, they're mostly the same. They have some special configuration options that are unique to them that is just designed to um, allow you to use um, a more, I guess, scoped or refined component for what you're doing. So you're kind of, Instead of just everything goes through a data table, you have the kind of the, you're like, okay, if I'm pulling it from the server, I have these options, or um, I could use you know, the default somewhere. So you mentioned, so I'm looking at the docs here uh, online. So there's three different types. I'm not, how do you differentiate between the sure. types? Is it just a prop or a whole Oh, no, they're an actual different import? component name. So okay. if you uh, make sure, uh, uh, I don't know how long it's been since you've been the docs, but that it's updated. But if you go to the, there's a labs section on there and there it says uh, data tables and you can expand it out. Right. And we actually have multiple pages associated with it because there's different concepts that we want to introduce the user to and, and how we explain it to them. Um, but whenever you go onto that page, you'll see at the top, there's like a little installation thing that'll tell you how to install it. But then you'll see below that it, it Gives you kind of an overview of the three tables um, and you know, kind of how they differentiate. Okay, so the different types are in the labs, but in the the release stuff, you you, you still have a is it just regular tables? And you're still working on the data tables in the labs? No, I mean you know, data tables are still being worked on, but we have a regular table that right. is a component that exists. Yeah, right. It's just not all the data table stuff. Okay, no, it's just gotcha. a replacement for the 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 native tables. But right. Okay. So you got virtual tables and server side tables, which is what I would use, could use. Right on. So just as a little bit of refresher, when you did version three, if this wasn't just sort of a cosmetic change, right? Of hey, let's slap this stuff on top of our old base. Didn't you pretty much rewrite everything? Uh yeah. in V3 as yeah, that was a pretty big change underneath. So you sort of had to do that, didn't you? Well, Vue 3 introduced a lot of new concepts with the Composition API. And um, there, there was an opportunity to port Beautify 2 to Vue to 3 
kind of a compatibility mode um, earlier on. But uh, I ended up making the decision based upon the, the manpower and the, the potential risk of introduce because we were eventually always going to have to rewrite. Right? So mm-hmm. we did explore not having to do that at first. Um, but you know, I felt that it was very risky to introduce and into it would almost be like beautified 2.5 and we're you're kind of by releasing it we're kind of committing to supporting it in some way shape or form mm-hmm. and i knew that you know there's i mean not not to say that i would even make the call to do that if we had the manpower but not even close enough to be able to um, sustain something along those lines or provide a more stepped process to upgrading to view three unfortunately um, however, and I'm sure we'll talk about this later, there's a lot of tooling that makes the process not very daunting. Um, but as far as the, the framework itself, if anyone had ever seen the code base for Beautify 2, it was uh, built entirely with render functions, mm. um, which became a little more common as time went on, but originally was used out of necessity because the view compiler templates didn't support functional components at the time whenever it was being written over. So when we moved to version three, and we were going to be doing a lot of rewriting, um, even though the ecosystem moved towards um, a uh, nomenclature known as composables, which is instead of what June 2 was utilized, which was mix-ins, where you kind of take this shared functionality and you, you have a component you define and say, hey, it uses these particular mix-ins for its functionality. That's what we did in version two. Version three was basically like mix-ins were turned into pseudo-pure functions. If you know what a pure function, if, any, if, if you, a pure function is um, something that has an like, explicit input and it has an expected output every single time. There's no um, um, scope of variables pulled in, right? So they're not complete pure functions. But the idea and the concept is typically the same, is that um, we are using a composable, we are passing in information, and it is, we're getting an expected return. Um, that information that we pass it can be dynamic, which is what uh, disqualifies it for being an actual pure function. But the concept is still the same. So we were able to kind of port that over relatively easy. But when it came to the templates, it was um, it was something that, we were progressing with as a team, but it wasn't very easy for people to contribute to. One of the things that I think Beautify struggled with was its accessibility towards being able to contribute because the way that it was done um, in order for us to support TypeScript properly, or at least to the degree that can be supported in, in V2. When we made the decision to kind of push things off with Beautify 3 and not do a version 2. It was so that we could, again, not have to devote resources to um, maintaining and answering issues, which is already a very difficult thing to do. Um, but, um, but, but also it allowed us to focus all of our resources that we did have on, on progressing with version 3. So that was a call that, that we made. And whenever we decided to move up, um, uh, focusing on uh, Beautify 3, we decided that render functions were not going to be 
um, an accessible way for users to help contribute to the framework. We needed something that was a little bit more accessible, but we didn't want to go with ex with explicit templates, just regular templates, because the it, it didn't have the type safety and also um, the flexibility that we needed. Um, so what ended up happening was um, we experimented with TSX, JSX, and Kale, um, one of the core developers, got it set up to where we were able to write our templates using TypeScript and TSX. And it is obviously a full rewrite, but it allowed it to do in a way where um, one thing that's difficult whenever you're working inside of view components is if you don't have a template, it's hard to kind of visualize where things are. When we have a template um, or some type of HTML, you kind of have a hierarchy or structure that you can follow to kind of understand where things are in the hierarchy. But with render functions, those render functions can be defined anywhere. And the, the ordering and how they are used is really only beneficial if you understand the code and you know where things are going to go after working with it for a while. So JSX, TSX was an opportunity for us to kind of merge the two philosophies together where we, we still have access to our TypeScript um, type checking. Um, and we are able to, instead of having to convert our render functions directly to templates, um, we're able to kind of, again, in, in the middle, convert them over to TSX, which feels a lot more natural as far as having a hierarchy to look at in the template. Um, but it also has a lot of flexibility and um, helps us write pretty, you know, pretty good code. Um, but this did cause us to have to rewrite a lot of stuff and beautify itself as, as massive. Um, so it was a very big undertaking. Um, and um, yeah, I, I'd say that uh, you know, the, the full rewrite now is definitely glad where we're at because <laughs> the framework is just solid and getting better every single day. Um, but it definitely was a hard road, happened to be as late as we were to, to getting everything out. So it did come at a cost, unfortunately. When you were working, when you were starting Vue 3, were you starting it when Vue 3 was still like in beta and hadn't been fully released, sort of shooting at a moving target type of thing where you'd write something and then Vue 3 would change underneath you and you'd have to adapt to that? Or did you not really start working on it until Vue 3 was, was fairly solid? Well, we started prototyping as soon as the alpha was released. Um, Correct. I, I might be wrong, but I think it was either, I think it was 2019 or 20, yeah, I think it was 2019, December, 2020, January that it, the alpha was released. And we started experimenting um, almost immediately. There wasn't, I don't think, too many issues with moving targets. I, I think that we had more that we had to work around and kind of navigate through the issues more than what you caused us. Um, the things that we, we already abused you very much so <laughs> in a lot of ways. So mo most of the, the, the issues we ran into had to do with us, you know, learning a process. We had to, you know, kind of redevelop our development paradigm in a way for how we build things. Because obviously we're switching over from doing render functions to doing templates ourselves. And there's a certain bit of um, uh, you know, learning curve associated with that. Um, but it did, I believe, have the impact overall of um, being easier for users to contribute. 
and also a little bit easier for us to maintain. Um, so, uh, but the, when, when I think 2020 is when we spent most of the time um, toying around with it. It really wasn't until TSX got in that things really took off. We were kind of, maybe it was just me. I say we're because I try to include all uh, uh, decrees of accomplishment and failure as a we thing, um, but it might have just been mostly um, me. But I, you know, it was very difficult to kind of recreate these concepts and approaches for how we build components. It was one of the things that I spent a lot of time in with Vudify 1 that was able to transfer to Vudify 2, um, where, you know, even if it all wasn't enforced by ESLint, which mostly it is now, there was this, um, you know, kind of coding guideline outline for how everything was structured and how everything was utilized that I think allowed us, well, it's one of the reasons why Vudify using as many mix-ins as it did in previous versions was able to still Excel uh, because it was so well organized and understood how the different pieces were used um, that it just lended nicely for compositional building. Um, so uh, the once TSX was in, which I don't think that was until 2020, like January 2021, um, you know, it was mostly just kind of porting over our mix-ins and just testing around. We didn't have docs, which is a very difficult thing early on when you don't have documentation because we had to rebuild all of our um, deployment processes and whatnot. So yeah, it, it, it was quite a bit. Um, what ended up happening was because we had some, you know, a decent part of the framework ported over, um, I made the decision for us to focus on um, the documentation because we didn't have enough resources, I didn't think, to adequately uh, get version three out in amount of time and then also have the documentation in a way that was um, a little bit more expansive. One of the problems with earlier versions is <laughs> in a similar sense that the components are very difficult because they use render functions. The documentation pages were basically JSON objects, which <laughs> in turn was a hurdle for people to contribute and also very annoying even if, even as the developer. So we spent you know six months or so rebuilding the documentation one so that it would work when the new version was out um but so that it was easier for people to contribute to that was another thing like the, the biggest concern always was trying to get more people to contribute because uh, the frameworks sides was growing faster than its funding so trying to get more people to help make it easier for people to contribute and you know, well now the docs uses all markdown pages, it's real sleek and slick. It's got uh, super easy to contribute to. And, um, you know, I think it lended a big hand for when we actually started porting over components uh, to um, not have to fight with the documentation. Um, instead, we're just working with the component. So kind of all those things led up that, that you know, made the process take a little longer, I think. But overall, like I was saying before, um, it, I, I think that it yielded much better results. Yeah, I'm just curious how you're managing your docs. You said they're all in um, Markdown, but you're able to render uh, these Beautify components? Um, so the uh, initial docs were always, uh, up until version 3, were built on SSR. Actual uh, had a node server running in the background. Uh, this used uh, Versal's version 1.0 architecture. When they moved to version two, 
uh, and this is kind of where the industry moved, where everything was kind of a cloud function, you know, less of a node server, um, at least for website purposes, uh, less of a node server running in the background. And most pages or, or most uh, projects um, were perfectly fine with uh, what's called SSG, static site generation, um, which is it's like kind of the, a mix of both worlds. It, uh, we, we take the views and, the, and uh, everything the user sees and we pump it through um, the, the SSR and get the output and then we save that into a file. So it's kind of what helps us um, you know, have, uh, it's what allows us rather to, instead of having to serve up things with a node server, we have the pages already generated. Uh, that itself is a pretty large process. It's kind of evolved over time, like I said, in version two. Uh, we use JSON structures for most of the docs generation. Um, everything now is in Markdown. Play, uh, Markdown, and um, it's a combination of Markdown, and then we have. I mean, it's a the documentation is a genuine view app, like to all degrees. Like what you see is what you get. It's not built within like ViewPress or uh, BytePress or whatever the case may be. It's one hundred percent Beautify. So um, everything in the documentation. Um, is consisted of just components for um, you know, the various features and then the actual markdown pages themselves. And you know, as that was kind of the baseline that started out and then we expanded to kind of make the page more powerful where we could you know, uh, designate things like front matter, where instead of us having to, you know, again, having a JSON file where we put in all the page information and data and like the system pulled from that, you can actually do it all in the actual markdown file itself um, and then it, it was kind of like the baseline for everything is in markdown because people know markdown and that's easy and then there's a lot of cool stuff we can do with the markdown tools to where we can say hey if you see this element instead put this there which is why we're able to like put in components or put in um, uh, different injected features on a page that are not markdown um, with a lot of our configuration stuff. So, uh, and, and you know, to, to expand further on that, once everything is actually gets into uh, rendering uh, on the CI to, to deploy to the server, we also have, uh, we utilize a service called CrowdIn, which is a service that is, um, it allows us to have users contribute open source uh, to uh, language and uh, uh, for different locales. And this is cool because they could just do it inside the markdown files themselves. And whenever um, we go to deploy, we're able to, we download all of these uh, translations and then they get rendered in their own explicit locale. So the, there's an entire file structure when it's deployed, there's no like server response. So literally it, will have in the project, it has you know, forward slash EN and then all the pages and forward slash um, KO and then all the pages associated with it. So they all have to be rendered. So it is kind of a lengthy process and we're always, uh, we actually put some effort earlier uh, in uh, last month to decreasing the deployment time. So it takes, it takes, usually it took about 20 to 25 minutes to actually do the whole process. We've got it down to like between 12 and 16. It's still pretty high, um, but you know, there will be some scaling we're having to work with. So yeah, we're spending a lot of time trying to you know, 
improve that aspect. But yeah, it's it's a very, very large chain process for how we take everything that's basic markdown that people are used to and we're able to kind of in the background do all of the fun Judify stuff and then output it using all Judify components. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at some of your source code right now and there's like um in your docs markdown there's like an example component mm -hmm. I see. And then you actually have a file prop to like a view file in your mm -hmm. like and it's actually like pretty incredible how you did that. I like that a lot. And then you have just like this view component that's generating an example of like that's what you're rendering in your docs, which is um very powerful and, and like you said, it's like very accessible to contribute to. Yeah, it's it's also a good example for anybody that's working on a view project to see what we do in in the docs because you know, it's an enterprise-sized application with all of the files and the functionality and how everything works together. So it's, you know, being able to see how we do things can, you know... Yeah, I know whenever I wrote the initial docs or um, Beautify 2, there was a, a Hacker News SSR example that Evan Yu put together. And I didn't know how to do anything with SSR, but that project worked and it served as the baseline for me to you know, try to work through in that regards. And, you know, ever since then, you know, the, there's always been a really high focus at trying to make the documentation good. So you can just find stuff. It just works nicely. There's actually quite a bit we've been adding lately to make that better and some things we're going to do in the future. But, but yeah, that's the idea is that when you're kind of in there, the information that you're looking for kind of, you're like, oh, wow, it's got information about that. Or, hey, it supports this API because, it, you know, most of our components are so expansive in what they support. So, um, uh, but yeah, hopefully that answers your question. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it's actually a really nice code base to look through. Yeah, I have I have really bad. Um, I, I don't want to say OCD because that's not the right terminology. Maybe emo retentive is the is the correct word, but. I, I spend a lot and absorbent amount of time in the docs because despite being, you know, the original creator of Unify, it's so large. We have different core members that kind of have like their own little slice of the framework that people can still contribute to the devs or the community, but it's kind of like their little domain, their little area where they can, they can feel comfortable in and it gives them a little bit slice of the pie. So I'm always in the docs needing to use them for, for things because for the most part we have concepts that have been the same since the early versions as far as like um, the way properties work um, our naming conventions have always been the same but the big thing with version three is since we expanded the api even further we had to move away from something um i i, I really like boolean props <clears throat> excuse me i like boolean true props because i don't like to have to write um a bound variable, you know, bound variable equals false to something because it's a default state is true. I want whatever the state is to be what it is. And then the Boolean prop, which is instead of having something that says show dialogue, it's high dialogue because the dialogue's already shown. So these are kind of concepts that have stuck around in, in um, one shape or another moving into version three. Um, but we had so many Boolean props that we had to actually merge them into a single prop. Good example would be uh, you have a regular V button component from Beautify. In version two, 
you could change its sizing by just giving it a prop x small or x dash small or small or x dash large and these were all boolean props and they were you know they would apply that particular styling now obviously um, these were separate properties but they were still exclusive in that if you have one you're not going to want to have um, uh, the other uh, so if you have an extra large button you wouldn't need to have um, an extra small uh, property on it anyways so now those all got merged into one prop. So it's now just size equals small, extra small, large, et cetera. Um, that was kind of a natural, it's, it's a natural consequence of the framework's API growing. Um, so it's kind of um, something we had to move towards. But um, and, and, and saying all that, that most of the new properties, um, most of, I mean, all of the new properties, as far as I'm concerned, follow that same semantic nature in version one and two. They're just different. So I still have to learn some of these new concepts for some of these things. And I am in the docs kind of all the time. So, uh, you know, I'm always going to pages. I'm always looking at things. I'm always making sure that the process feels good. And I think that is what kind of makes the documentation code as good as it is. And um, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why people like our documentation, because it is so expansive and um, well, well put out, well thought out. So you had mentioned briefly uh, a huge monumental, I think you said 3.4 release mm -hmm. uh, coming up and it's going to be before, what is it, ViewConf? Uh, yeah, so ViewConf is, I believe it's the 3rd and the 4th of November. Mm -hmm. So um, it'll be, I, we're shooting for November 1st, I think it is. So it's out for a couple of days before I give my, my talk on it. Um, so, so what is it that makes this release so huge? Are you going to have everything out of labs? Is there a whole bunch of new components? What, what is it? Yeah, that, there's uh, quite a it... few components that are coming out of labs. So we do have a roadmap that expands on this. Um, but we have, I think it's nine components that are going to be either new or moving from labs up. So a combination of both. And this is going to include not only existing components, but some new components, which is something we haven't done in a while because it's kind of hard to want to, it's kind of hard to release new components when you haven't ported over all of the ones that you know exist in version two. So are you so, breaking that here on views on view, or have you already put these out somewhere else? Um it's kind of it's kind of out there a little bit, you know. Oh, but, dang. Okay. Semi-exclusive. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so um but it, it's uh, it's just meant to be a culmination of one year of hard work on version three of polishing and porting. And um, it's going to be, I think, representative, like I said before, of, the, of, of what we wanted to release at version three launch, but weren't able to. Um, it includes data table, which is a big one. You know, data table is, for all intents and purposes, it's a stage four it's not it doesn't have any changes that are coming to it breaking wise it's too close to release so the only thing that could be happening is, is either porting over existing or new functionality so it's one of those things where even though it's there and it's ready it's still in labs because we are still testing it so a lot of people uh, as they should aren't using it in their production applications aren't upgrading because they don't have access to this component so this is going to be a big one and then um and also you know like i said <laughs> earlier I, I like to have fun with it. I'm a big gamer. 
and I, uh, you know, I've always named releases and um, I'm kind of trying to have fun with a little storyline of the releases. So we have some, some banners that are going to be associated with it and kind of these themes of um, kind of a spaceship assault, um, um, the Blackguard fleet and the, the concept behind it is um, that you know, we're coming back to take over the planet. You know, Beautify has been gone for a minute. And some people have been enjoying their time, um, you know, bringing users in the View 3 community into their ecosystem. Uh, but with, with version 3.4 with Blackguard, it's going to round out our arsenal. So the idea is that, you know, Beautify is coming. And I'm kind of working on a little bit of a, you know, I'm spending some time on trying to promote that and, you know, just do something cool. Can't always be serious work, you know. <laughs> so I, I have certain days I try to, switch to the other side of my brain and do some creative stuff. But, but yeah, it's just, it's meant to be, uh, you know, a, a really big celebration of Beautify. And obviously we're going to be at ViewConf Toronto almost immediately afterwards. So we'll be able to you know, discuss that and, and show users about the new features and functionality. Um, but also some of the old components that are not ported over, um, you know, the new features and functionalities that they have, because we have a lot of pieces of the framework that was, abstracted out into um, it was duplicate functionality it was abstracted out and more components utilize this functionality so we're able to do more safely a good example would be um, so we had in version two we had a calendar component and we had a date picker component and we had a time picker component and with the calendar there was also some smaller sub components um, as well that utilized their own proprietary versions of, of um, date management uh, and you know, worked to the degrees that they worked, but were ultimately developed in silos separate of each other. So the uh, one of the things that we've introduced, it's actually in labs right now, is we have a new composable called the date composable. And now all three of those components are going to pull their information and data from a unified source um, that is also following, uh, there's a popular uh, date-time interface called IOUtils. And essentially, if we follow the interface that they provide for interacting with the date object, and then they have other, they have interfaces for other popular date, date libraries like um, Luxon and Moment. So we're able to provide an internal, you know, this is the date system for the, you know, that we use for Unify, but you can now swap it out just instantly with, you know, a different date library that supports that same interface. And then again, so that allows us to kind of, uh, you know, homogenize this behavior, this functionality into a single source. And then the components that are able to utilize that now have access to features and functionality that may have not existed in the previous version. Because now instead of, you know, referencing something that's, again, coded proprietary and local, it's something that is now um, a, a shared feature in the framework. Yeah, date time has got to be... I think one of the trickiest things to deal with just because of the huge number of variations in time zones and time formats and date formats and, and adjustments. And yeah, I've uh, to people who do that stuff, uh, we owe you a lot. That's <laughs> yeah. one headache I don't have to deal with anymore. Right. It's just, it's, you know, yeah. dealing, working in Laravel and PHP a lot, you know, carbon is the tool of choice that we deal with and, makes things so much easier. So mm -hmm. when you look at some of the documentation, you're like, wow, they've got a method that 
calculates the diff from here to here. And I can type in the text that says, give me the third Friday in April. And it will give me the date for that mm -hmm. particular year. Stuff like that just blows my mind. So kudos to whoever, whoever does that date time stuff and just allows us to, <laughs> to use it. Well, yeah, that's honestly, it is, it has always been, and it's a difficult thing to support. Um, we're doing it slightly different this time around. And then the, also the other cool thing is that if we do decide to change how we approach it, we have a single interface that everything's working off of. So as long as it returns the same right. data, it doesn't matter how it gets it. Right. Um, exactly. But the other thing that the other reason why I wanted to do it, and, and this is something that's true of other um, global settings of Unify, for example, like language and whatnot. Now, what would be interesting, and I'm curious to see how much you looked in this, is I know that JavaScript is supposedly adding the temporal API to be able to do more of a native date handling uh, API that so you don't have to use external libraries. And I haven't mm -hmm. investigated enough to know myself. I'm going to guess that out of the box or, you know, when that first comes out, it's not going to have a lot of the functionality that some of these external libraries and tools have just because mm -hmm. they've been around for so long. I don't think they would try to do everything in one fell swoop. Uh, I'm just curious to see if you've looked at that or heard of that and or if that's we have. that's too not well, it's not well developed enough yet. Well, we did a prototype uh, with the temporal API, but it, yeah, the support is definitely lackluster. Um, the the benefit of having the adapter is now we can have, you know, potentially in the future, we can have a temporal adapter that implements that because, you know, all we're doing is implementing this interface for IOUtils. It just says, hey, this method calls get weeks and it expects something to be returned that resembles this, um, which is why it's also, you know, we, we do utilize date for our, the date object for our default adapter. Um, which does have its own limitations. And this is one of the reasons why we had, um, you know, separate functionality um, with the Luxon of the moment or whatever, so that maybe we can't solve every problem. There's going to be things we can't solve for someone. They're like, okay, well, then I'll just use something that's off the shelf, right? So it kind of takes a little bit of pressure off us for being able to have to support every niche use case that exists within time zone and date calculation. So it's not like, it's not like a scapegoat for us to say, oh, well, we don't have to take care of this because, you know, you have these other options. But what it is, is if you, you know, building an application that is affected by a bug that we're unable to resolve, you have other options. Um, same thing like our, our IET and our, our language. We have a default um, language translator, but you can also hook up UIT in if you want to. You can hook up other ones. They just, you know, um, trade right in. So that's kind of the... The thing that I really try to do um, with Beautify is one, not requiring any dependencies. I think I don't know if temporal would be a dependency right now because I don't know if there's like a, I don't know too too much about it and if like how it could be used in existing browsers. But I know that the team was experimenting with it and we decided that there wasn't enough support for right now. But um, you know, other than that, we uh, we're, we're trying to utilize date as best we can. <laughs> To have the components, you know, work as a user would expect, but also still just provide them with other options that you know, they can go to, and that way we don't have to have uh, framework dependency where we say, "Oh, you have to have Luxon or Moment to utilize Beautify," um, because we have a zero dependency policy. Um, but um, it's that you, you know, there's you could make your own if you wanted to. You know, twelve methods that return information and data, so all you do is just duplicate those methods and return it. So it's just kind of one of the approaches that I think 
what makes Beautify so flexible is there's so many different ways that you can approach it. You can use what we have, you could use something else that's off the shelf, and you can build your own. And so if you were going to, say, swap out the I18N with ViewI18N or something else, um, is that as simple as a prop? Uh, what, what does that take? Um, I don't know. It's in, in the documentation. It is uh, definitely a much more featured descri- uh, description that I'll give uh, here. Um, but uh, the, the, uh, it's not the same interface. It's like when you're working with um, the, the Beautify data adapter. It's a similar process. And um, all it involves is there's a specific adapter that UITN has. Um, and this adapter is, again, I'm gonna use the word, the term composable. And this is, again, it's a pseudo pure function that usually starts with use X, Y, or Z or create X, Y, or Z. So this is the way that uh, UITN passes out its functionality. And um, we have an adapter prop um, that you pass to the locale where you basically create a new instance of UITN. The only manual process is if you're doing some specific changes that modify the default language of any of the keys for the various components. So if you're not using that, then yes, it's just as simple as passing through the UITN adapter. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at that now actually. And so your Beautify is providing this UI18N adapter. Um, and w- what is kind of in that adapter? So like if I was going to build out my own adapter, mm-hmm. for example. Well, the, the I18N adapter is actually, that one in particular is from UI18N. Um, you can um, create a, a custom translator. Um, essentially, all that the default one does is, well, the locales, uh, excuse me, the different language items part of a JSON object. I don't know if you guys are noticing a trend here with JSON. Um, but they're, they're, they're part of a JSON object and they're just keyed out. And then our default translator, you know, it, it receives a key, it checks if that key exists in the set, and then it just returns the information. Um, so um, you could, I, I'm sure they have, there's something specifically on that doc page, but if you're just looking, like if you're, because you said you were kind of browsing at the code, um, the, the the easiest way would be to to look and see what we're doing with our translator, which I think again is just a simple key lookup, and then you can just pass in your own. For sure, and that, and that's specific to like I18N and like translations, yeah. but like this adapter API as a whole, is it does it kind of like adapt throughout the Vuetify framework for other areas of customization? So, so um, the uh, for the locale things specifically. Um, the, the adapter is a little bit different than the way that the date one works. So it's less, um, uh, it's only one argument translator. So it's like, whatever you get back for, um, the translator, you just provide it with a key argument and that's it. So, um, whenever an adapter is created, all it is, is a function, um, that accepts a key. And then you take that key and reference, you know, whatever object or whatever area that you're pulling in information for um, the, the language at. So it's just really a basic function. So um, uh, 
uh, just accepts a key argument. That's it. So there's no like methods on it, like you know, get key or set key or anything like that. It's just a simple function. Cool. I think I'm curious if um, I'm curious how it has the like styling of beautify components shifted much from version two to version three. Um, I remember that originally I would run into issues like kind of like the base beautify components are incredible, but if you ever needed to kind of customize that further, um, it was challenging, at least at the time. Um, I'm curious if that has changed or um, if there's any, yeah, new functionality there. Sure. Uh, so yeah, there's a, a couple of new pieces of functionality that is that was implemented to make that process a little easier. Uh, the first one is our global defaults configuration. So the user can now, um, at the Beautify config, um, define the default property values for any component in the framework. Um, you can define default classes and styles. You can define nested defaults. So you could say a V button inside of a V card gets this styling all at the root. Um, and with the you know, additional API options that exist in version three, this is the most expansive and typical way that you're going to modify or utilize the application. Um, we did add quite a bit more coloring into the default generated theme. So there are more colors to pull from or configure in your application. Um, and then um, you know, ecosystem has moved to Vite for um, you know, all of this development and Vite is fast. And we have a, you know, a Vite plugin that um, you can hook up and modify our SAS styles, which is the second way that is prominently modifying the application is done through. And this, this is for more CSS-centric customizes and changes. For example, you want the uh, you know, default border radius of a button to be seven, you can set that. Um, you can also set that in uh, the defaults configuration for the component. Uh, and then the thing that adds those and tops those together is we have this new concept called, uh, well, it's aliasing, but they're virtual components. So you can import one of our components and you could create an alias. So for example, let's say that uh, your, your framework has H components. So it's an H dash button. So you could say that the H dash button component is an alias of V button. And then now that component has access to have defaults set globally for any name. And then it also still works with nesting. So what this allows you to do is, you know, say you have three or four buttons in your application, instead of creating three or four different button, you know, component files or a single one that has some properties set up to where you define, you know, oh, this is gonna be primary, secondary, et cetera. You can just create a virtual component V button one, two, three, and four with different settings that'll just work in the application. And for the situations where you need a component that is maybe wrapping multiple beautify components, so you're like, okay, that's great, but I have uh, you know, a card and I need to do some additional modification. Um, well, we recently introduced the ability to uh, utilize the defaults engine locally in your components. So you can uh, register your props for the component, you pass those to our defaults composable 
uh, with a with a registered value, and then it looks through all the settings and says, okay, H button has all of these, or H card has all of these, so that you can actually utilize those props and that functionality in your own custom components. So these are the three big things that really improve the customization options for version three. Uh, those um, are all brought together with a concept called blueprints. So a blueprint is very similar to what presets were in version two, um, but uh, the, the idea is they're um, meant to be encompassing of everything in the application. So we have, you were mentioning the styling of Beautify over the years. Well, uh, it's kind of difficult because we, you know, the view, excuse me, the material ecosystem uh, moved to material three or U or whatever it's called rather quickly, but they didn't have barely any components. So it kind of put us in this awkward intermediary between half the components, you know, had visual representations in version three and, and maybe half didn't. So what ended up being the case in a lot of situations was we'd take a default if it didn't take away from the uh, collective styling of all of the components for that to be added. Um, and then to replace that, we have blueprints. So we have a MD1, MD2, MD3 blueprint. Now these are going to be expanded. They're, they're one of the weaker fleshed out features um, in version three, but powerful in the sense that um, in a later version of Beautify, all of our built-in um, defaults that we supply components are going to exist in a blueprint itself. So there will be like a Beautify blueprint that sets all of the defaults of what Beautify looks like now. And then there will be material one, material two, material three. Uh, blueprints. And then that makes it easy for the users to then create their own uh, blueprints um, with that particular functionality. So all of these combined has just made you know, the, the customization options pretty much endless. I mean, I know everyone would say, yeah, the options are endless, but really you can come to the same conclusion in so many different ways. And the way that we've structured the, the API in content components for version three. So like a content component would be like a card um, or, or some an expansion panel. All components have been uh, restructured to accommodate uh, three different ways of interacting with it. So you've got props. So you interact directly with props. So you've got a card, you can just do title equals this, text equals that, subtitle equals this. It just works. Then the second way is slots. So say that you, you, know, you don't want to have to configure where the element is located, where the card title item is located, the card text. You just want to use a slot. So use the, the title slot because maybe you want to change the default color to a different one. So you don't want to actually mess with the element. You just want to have, uh, you just want to be able to customize whatever's going to be inside of, of that title or text or whatever the case may be. And then the third way is the, completely verbose one, which you use each individual component. So all of the components that we use to build uh, everything in Beautify 3, with the exception of two um, for inputs, is public. So if you want to use a vCard title, vCard text, you can explicitly use those components. If you want to just access, if you just want to give some information and have it work, you have that availability. If you want to make small customizations, you can. And you can also utilize a combination of three, all three. You know, you can have 
maybe you want to set for your card a title and a subtitle and then um, for the title you want to have a custom slot because you want to make it a, a darker font and then you manually use vcard text because you want to do some things with that and um, you have a combination of using api and slots and regular components and it all just works so this is um, you know the big focus of I mean, Viewdivide has always kind of exposed everything, but really putting it out there is like, hey, here's everything we use to build these. So, you know, you have all these ways to interact with our components. We have all of these different uh, uh, customization options. It's easy to set up. And then at the end of the day, if you're like, I don't really like how, you know, this carousel was built. Well, you have all of the, the, the parts to build the carousel um, and you can just build your own. And we often show some of these in examples. Like if uh, we have a underlying component carousel is vWindow. So vWindow is just the core functionality of a window sliding into frame. Uh, and then that is what's used. But even but on the vWindow, we have an example that is like a pseudo carousel. It's showing, hey, if you want to just make your own carousel using this as the root component for it, here's how you would do it. And yeah, I, I just believe all of that is, just makes the, the customization argument for Beautify completely mute because there's just so many ways to tackle it now with, you know, without complicating your application. All right. So let's before we wrap up, I wanted to move off of the code-specific discussion and ask you some organizational stuff. Now, I, forgive me, I don't remember when this happened. Now, is it correct that you were, and this is just so people understand uh, how things, maybe the sausage is made behind the scenes. You were full-time on Beautify and then you had to leave? Or what is your status with that right now? Uh, I, I took six months um, not working full-time on Beautify, doing some contract work, and basically set myself up to go back to working full-time on Beautify, which I am now. And why there's been such a, a massive, you know, because I've been back full-time on Beautify, just a massive push of improving not only the quality of things around the ecosystem, but the availability in the ecosystem on top of, you know, the framework itself. So, you know, spending a lot of time trying to kind of uh, um, bring in a lot of the different properties and features and functionality of Beautify to be a little bit more of a unified experience. Um, We have things like, right now we're testing out where users, you can log into the documentation using GitHub and you can choose to sync your settings so that you can you know, get another computer, you log in with your GitHub, you get to have all of your documentation settings, um, the same on all, on all you know, logins. And we're adding a bunch of new things, right? So, you know, this is meant to improve the documentation experience. And then we're adding, you know, we, we have you know, issue generators and we have templates to get users started. We're just trying to, you know, bring all these different pieces so that when users come later this year, because with the release, it's going to be, you know, with big releases, you get a large influx of users that tapers off. So the idea is to have as much much in place as possible before that occurs. And just trying to, you know, represent a complete experience of working with Beautify uh, still for free, right? So that's, you know, that's kind of the goal. Now, you do have some paid options as well with Beautify, don't you, in terms of templates or other things that people can purchase? Yeah, we have a store um, where we have uh, vendors that make Beautify themes that we you know, we sell. I'm not too gung-ho or spend time in that because it's, it's 
my wife handles most of that area. But in terms of support, one of the things that, that I've been pushing for this year is because sponsorship is too volatile. <laughs> I mean, literally a month and a half, two months ago, we lost two big sponsors. And that's $3,000 a month. So it's like, it's too volatile and it doesn't offer any sort of, um, um, you know, it offers sustainable revenue, but it's at a cost. So I've spent a lot of effort trying to provide support options for Beautify. I have no interest in making anything hidden behind a paywall component wise. Um, so the thing that we started focusing on right now is we have you know, some support options and then also our Discord, which is where we, um, our, our community is at for users that want to come and ask questions, get help with Beautify. D uh, Discord earlier this year introduced subscriptions. So we've been trying to utilize that to provide users with you know, just some smaller avenues of, of getting support through text. And um, that's, that's kind of the start. And one of the things that is coming before Blackguard will be, you know, we have some, we're going to offer a, a dollar a month paid subscription for Beautify. So if you're one of our GitHub dollar subscribers, you'll get some extra features in the documentation, some things like being able to turn off ads and um, maybe bookmark pages and stuff like that. Um, we're also working on expanding out some of the uh, learning tools of Beautify. So with some videos and some informational content, um, that's really what the the, the big focus is going to be is just when users come in, just have this complete experience. Like they have information, they can get help um, that, that is free or paid. Um, and there's so many different areas to be able to get help. Um, and there's so many different areas to, you know, and, uh, one of the big things I hear from people a lot that they enjoy is like, hey, I think it's cool that I can work on this and I can book time with the author to get help, you know. And um, I think that if, you know, if the focus is good enough on that, and we're going to keep, I mean, I guess I don't want to say I'm keep throwing stuff at the wall until it sticks, but open source is hard. At least it is for me. I haven't cracked it yet. So um, I'm just kind of trying a bunch of different things. That's why I'm trying to create some, some fanfare around the releases to try to spark some interest and motivation and kind of just create this, this cool area where people can, you know, yeah, you have a product that you're using that's a professional thing, but there's also um, kind of a non-robotic element to it um, that gives me at least an opportunity to to not burn out doing the same thing. You know, because I've been at this for almost eight years straight. It's my longest job I've ever had. So, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. So with that, unless there's something else you want to cover, John, that we missed. Uh Nothing specifically. Um, you know, I, I don't know if there's going to be some time at the end to rep out some properties, but I do have a couple things to send people to. Um, if yes. they're listening to this for the first time uh, and hearing about Beautify for the first time, um, it was trybeautify.com. Um, just one word, <laughs> no dash, no nothing, trybeautify.com. And you can get started with the Beautify 3 application in less than a minute. Um, and, you know, have a project up and running in development and looking in the documentation, learning about it in less than five. So um, you know, for anyone listening, they want to give it a shot. It's the easiest way to do it. And then we have, again, all of these different avenues to get help. You know, you want to just come into the community, 
and ask the community people and the community people, you know, can get help from them, the GitHub discussions, we have you know, paid support stuff. So it's like, no matter where you go, you have an option that's available, including a free one. And uh, so anyway, so that's, that's, that's uh, something I'd like to you know, put out there, tribeunify.com. All right. That's what's known as a shameless plug. So yes, that's uh, <laughs> perfect. All righty. Well, thank you for coming, John, and catching us all up on on Beautify. We look forward to the 3.4 release in particular. Uh, sounds like it's going to pack quite a punch. Hoping so. So with that, we'll move to picks. Picks are part of the show where we get to talk about anything we want within reason, of course. You know, it doesn't have to be tech-related, books, movies, games, food, places, etc. So we'll start out with uh, Cody. What do you got for us, Cody? All right. Not sure how many of you follow the Twitter hype. Every day it's changing, but currently they're talking about an IDE called Cursor. And it's this uh, AI slash ChatGPT enabled uh, IDE. It's basically VS Code integrated with the smart ChatGPT um, kind of window. And it's it. I kind of scuffed at it at first, and then I finally got around to try, trying it yesterday as I was running into some TypeScript issues. And there's literally this little little hover button that comes up that says, uh, um, I think it's like AI fix or something, and you click it, and it can browse through your entire code base and basically solve all of your problems. I was <laughs> amazed. <laughs> so how is that different than, say, like using VS Code with Copilot? Um, so I'm not sure what like the latest copilot integrations are. I haven't used copilot since the, the beta, but, um, uh, yeah, like I basically can just, it, it somehow understands your entire code base and all of your TypeScript, um, uh, TypeScript, you know, like inheritance, like the entire just architecture of your project. And so for example, I wanted, I used ChatGPT to like mock some data for me, but the data was incorrect. And then I was able to reuse this thing and like click in like, oh, it turns out this is actually an enum and you can only use like three different types of strings, for example. Um, and I've only used it basically for that one TypeScript problem, but it worked so well that I'm going to continue using it. I've over the last week or so, I've been using ChatGPT in my free time for projects, just learning a new language, and um, it surprised me. And so I, I'm using it more and more for code, and this IDE does a really good job of just inter integrating it right into your project. So instead of asking the question and then copying the code in, plugging it in, running into new errors, you know, this back and forth between browser and IDE, it's just all there. Um, and so I'm, I'm actually like really impressed. I thought it was lame and just kind of like a money grab, but the more I use it, the more I'm I'm amazed, scared, who, who knows, right? <laughs> but that's yeah, cursor. Yeah, you can find it at cursor.so. I don't know if .so is the replacement for IO, but uh, that's what the uh, that's what the website is. That's what all the cool like. kids are using these days. Right, yeah, IO is so 2010s, I guess. Yep. Right. All right. Was that it? Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's all I got for today. Okay, my turn. So uh, my wife is a very, 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 very large Star Trek fan. 
uh, next generation, you know, uh, Voyager, Deep Space Nine. She knows them all, loves them all. And I am not, which is fine. But, uh, you know, I've seen enough Voyager shows here and there. I remember when it first started that I knew some of the actors. And there's a number of different podcasts that are out there related to Star Trek. Uh, there's one called Shuttle Pod, which uh, has a couple of different actors that were actually on the show uh, for a while. And the other day, uh, I was walking by and she was watching an episode on TV. They have it, you know, they have video versions of the podcast as well. And they were interviewing an actor named Robert Picardo, who is the actor that played the hologram doctor on Star Trek Voyager. And what attracted me to this, I happened to walk by at the right time. And it's, I was cracking up going, I've got to watch this whole episode because I suffer from a, I don't know if you would call it a medical condition known as RBF, otherwise known as resting bitch, resting bitch face. And what that means is people will look at me and think that I'm mad at, you know, I look like I'm angry or something. And I'm not. And it stresses me out uncontrollably. You know, my kids have to tell their friends, no, my dad's not mad, really. He's just as RBF. You know, that's what I tell them to tell their friends. And so anyway, in this episode, Robert Picardo is saying, he's telling the story about how he got the role of the doctor and how he went in and he just told like a simple one-liner. It's in the preview right at the beginning of the episode on YouTube. It's episode 2.23. And he says, years later, his dad's told him, dad, you got that job because of your resting bitch face. <laughs> and so I'm, and he's describing about how, you know, when he's at rest, his face, you know, his eyes look like this and he looks like he's angry. And I saw that I'm going, oh, thank you. It's not just me. You know, uh, I appreciated an actor telling that story as to why he got a part because of his RBF. So uh, I haven't watched the whole thing, but that portion was really funny and really interesting to watch, especially somebody afflicted with my, my uh, condition of RBF. So uh, with that, you can sort of understand why I like dad jokes so much, deadpan jokes. You know, Stephen Wright's my favorite comedian because you tell them with a very straight face. You're not, you're not like totally animated. So that's why they fit perfectly into my, uh, how I look. Not only how I sound, but how I look. So anyway, on to the dad jokes of the week. So, oh, I got to get my drums out here. Okay. So did you know that Apple... You know, they're always diversifying. They've started a clothing line for pirates. And their best seller so far is the eye patch. Right? Uh, when I was a boy, when I was younger, I had this really rare disease that required, to, required me to eat dirt three times a day in order just to survive. I was so glad my older brother told me all about it. And then... John, uh, this one's sort of appropriate for, for John and I. Um, do you know why the bald guy got tattoos of rabbits on his head? Because from a distance, they look like hares. Very good. So, great stuff. With that, best for last, our guest, John, what do you have for us for picks? Um, well, actually, uh, something small that I threw together last week that I've been using a lot. I, I often have a lot of times I'll copy code and need to send it to someone, share with them. And if you're posting on like Discord or Slack or something like that, it's always going to take up a lot of the screen. 
So one of the things we often tell people in Discord is, hey, post us a, like a paste bin or a link or something. And I just didn't really like the the bins that I had been using. And the one one of the ones that I'd used mostly got bought out and wasn't very user-friendly anymore. So I just threw one together that I use just specifically. For me, that's kind of cool. It's called dbin.io. It's funny you guys are mentioning IO really. Dbin.io. It's just a it's just a little uh, basic Monaco browser for you know, pasting code, and it doesn't. It actually takes all the code and it basically zips it up into the URL. So there's no there's nothing that's saved on a server or anything like that. And it's super quick. I go to it, copy paste something, and then I'm able to send links. Um, you know, easy to people. So code. Yeah, I saw that reference somewhere. I don't remember why I saw it, but I did see that you had spun that up uh, when I was looking for one. I think I was looking for a pastebin or something and came across it. Yeah, I just wanted something that didn't have ads and wasn't full of... This should be like the least amount of things you have to do <laughs> to get it. It's like paste and click copy at the most. <laughs> like should be all you right. have to do. Not accept all this agreement stuff and whatever. So anyways, that's kind of what I... That's my pick. Or either that where you can just put a code snippet without having to build a hole on application, you know, a structure like a mm -hmm. code pen or a um, code sandbox or something like that for sure. But yeah, those are great. We also have a Beautify Playground where you can do that. So we used to use code pen. Now you actually can go to play.beautifyjs.com and we have an interactive playground where you can literally work with Beautify um, live. You can change the versions of Beautify for testing things. You can create new components. Pretty cool. Um, it's another one of the ecosystem things that we're trying to, you know, really push for and make high quality. So people, they kind of have this you know, little group of services and functionality that kind of fleshes out what we offer. And that's another one of them. Yeah, those are cool. Tailwind has one, and so does Vue itself. Um, and I've used that quite a bit just to play around with some concepts in Vue 3 to get my head around them. Uh, like com component dbind is one I played with quite a bit. So yeah, th that's awesome to have a playground like that. Just whip something up. And I think you can, and you can share the URLs, right? Say, hey, this is what I've got. Here's the URL. Go take a look at it. Yeah, it's the same concept as the vbin where it takes all of the code and it um, converts it into something that can go into the URL. We're going to have something in the future where you can save it to your GitHub account as reference, but that's... One of the big things is we didn't want to have to store anything locally. So you just, your URL is longer, but it's, it contains right. everything within it. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, keeps it static, keeps it cheap. Yep. And um, just on that playground and bin idea, there's an article I read lately, recently. Um, the title is Concise Explanations Accelerate Progress. And I kind of, I think that hits the nail on the head here, like, creating this super fast code sharing playground environment helps you and the community debug and, and like communicate with one another, accelerating like the understanding of the framework, mm -hmm. which is very valuable. All right. Well, with that, we will wrap it up. Um, John, before we leave, I know you've mentioned the Discord, but if people want to get hold of you or yell at you or give you money or all of the above, where are the best places to do that? Uh, best place is uh, you could reach out on Twitter. We have at Beautify.js. You can also reach out to me. My Twitter is um, at ZeroSkills. So Z-E-R-O-S-K-I-L-L-Z. 
And then the community for Discord is community.beautifyjs.com. It'll send you a Discord invite and come in there and ask questions. And uh, yeah, that should be anything else you can see on that Try Beautify website. Uh, it has a lot of different information about our social media platforms and documentation. And so on. Right on. All right. So with that, we will wrap it up. I'd also like to say thank you to our studio audience for joining us. Always good to have you. And with that, we will wrap this up. Goodbye for now, and we'll talk to you next time on Views on View.